0: Conversations with the inspiring minds, using design and creativity towards social change. This is Design for the People with Greg Bunbury. Hello
1: and welcome to Design for the People. I'm your host, Greg Bunbury, and on this show, I'll be speaking to the designers, artists, creative thinkers and activists using their skills to tackle social issues, uplift communities and make a difference in the world. Joining me on today's show is Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth is the sector organizing and strategy lead and co-founder of the Design Studio for Social Intervention, also known as DS4SI. His interests focus on the research and development of design tools for marginalized communities to address complex social issues. With over three decades of experience in community practice, Bailey brings a unique perspective on the ethics of design in relation to community engagement, the arts, and cultural action. In 2020, Kenneth, alongside Laurie Lobenstein and Ayako Mariyama, published a book called Ideas, Arrangements, Effects. The simple premise being ideas are embedded in social arrangements, which in turn produce effects. Kenneth, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to be on. Um, your work's been a huge inspiration to me. And um, I look forward to our conversation. Um, just to kick off, uh, for those tuning in, uh, this has been a week of President Biden's inauguration in the U.S. So what's the uh, general mood been like over there?
0: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of both um, just immediate relief that there has been a shift from the Trump regime and a lot of, um sort of waiting to need to get to work again around the fact that we're in a um a cultural cold civil war it's like the, the 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 surfacing of the fact that we really made a cultural shift in the zeitgeist with the situation that happened before the inauguration that really signified that we're in a kind of cultural civil war um and then the, the, the Biden, um, um, inauguration has been a kind of reprieve from, or a kind of, um, I feel like a kind of intermission from the work sure. that has to do to deal with the reality that the Civil War is still here. I think, you know, um, it's, it's a lot for people to really deal with sort of socially mm-hmm. and emotionally on top of COVID. And, um, so I think right now you just have, um, a, a sort of a, a mood of a kind of um, releasing, although yep. it's a it's a release that's aware of the fact that you've got to run up a much bigger hill now. You know, so yeah, there's a I lot to that's do. the. It's like it's like if you're running a marathon, you see that you get to go down the slope a little bit, and your legs yep. get to re, you feel like <laughs> your legs get to relax, but you can also see the next leg. There's a hill
1: coming. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. and it's not a hill, you know what I mean? It, it's going to feel like you're you're running a marathon and suddenly you've kicked into a whole other exercise and it feels like you're um, excavating a rock and then you don't see where your feet will be.
1: <laughs> uh, I hear that. I hear that. Well, we will look forward to um, the changes to come. For those tuning in, uh, I had the opportunity to join Kenneth on a panel hosted by the Design Council last year. And as part of that process, I got into your book, Um, Ideas, Arrangements, and Effects, which has been so impactful to my work and just how I look at design. Uh, But before we get into the book, can we talk about your early career and journey to DS4SI?
0: Yes. And I'd love for you and I to figure out how to maybe co-host something with the design council as well. Talking to other designers, like I I, I know speculative design is big in the UK and I'd love to hear like how you guys are thinking about Afrofuturism. So I'd love to figure out how you and I can convince those guys to let us do maybe a collaboration with Riverside FM to interview more um, strategic designers and different design worlds over there. Um Yeah, but I, I think that would be I, so, great. That would be so much fun. Um But I started the studio after um, a career of really doing um a body of work called management consulting um in the nonprofit sector here in the United States, and I mostly supported organ um the um what we call executive directors, so people who run I think what you call them in um the UK are non governmental organizations. We call them nonprofit organizations, right? And I I, I really hoped um I had a practice that really looked at um, inner organizational conflict and how to use um, inner organizational conflict as a way to engage in systems change and also did a lot of um, consulting in um, place making and community development um, and it was there that I really started to find this larger problem around a crisis of imagination and people who care about the world. Like we had a very sort of enclosed sense of how change is made and where change is possible that Mm. sort of limits, it makes it impossible, or unintelligible to see the ways in which the built environment, culture, um, arrangements, like we talk about in the book, actually are part of the infrastructure that keeps problems intact. Yeah. um and if we want to change problems we have to make those things intelligible and actually try to change them as much as we um are trying to add new programs or add new solutions to social problems so um and how i really got into the studio was after i i i had been consulting in sort of the organizational development management consulting world for about 5 years and decided um, I wanted to figure out how to consult in a way that was more about changing how we think about social change, mm-hmm. um, and I got a residency at um, the um, a school here called the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, um, yeah. inside of the Department of Urban Studies and Planning with a, a professor named Cesar McDowell inside of a, a a program he was running that comes out of the work that uh, another professor at MIT, Mel King ran, called the um, Community Fellows Program. And when Caesar took it over, it was called the Center for Reflective Community Practice. And now it's called MIT CoLab. Um, and when I was there, the question I was asking was a question around how to increase the imaginative capacity of people who care about social change. Mm. And it just so happened that I was there at the same time with the person who comes out of the design world, one of the things i i've um, I learned from him uh is what I was talking about is actually a whole methodology particularly in the so, in the um the sort of corporate sector and it's called design you know before mm-hmm. that I really thought about design more as a identity, not yeah. a set of techniques um mm-hmm. or a, a process of facilitation I thought about design as like you know, um, the guy who makes an incredible building or the person who makes jeans. Or so I thought about it more like an identity. Um, and then it was at MIT that I figured out or I learned by going and hanging out inside of studios because they have so many studios inside of MIT, particularly in a media studies arm and in the, um, yeah, um, and inside of Media Lab that I learned that design it's like the work I would already been doing in organizational development and management consulting is very technique driven um, mm. and is a lot of facilitation as well as, you know, the sort of identity based yeah. design. It's not like that's not true. It's just that it's not the only thing that's true. And I already had a background in techniques and in methodologies and could speak that language very well. So stepping into another container around techniques and methodologies was very comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And I could see where the, the the techniques of design needed to be rethought to make them relevant for thinking about social situations as much as they had been designed to think about products um, and um, interaction. So. So we embarked upon trying to design a set of techniques that make sense for the civil society sector or the social change sector or nonprofits, however you want to put it. And that's how it started. So what was the driver that, that pulled you into this work? Were you just naturally
1: interested in people and dynamics and relationships, or was it something that evolved from other work you were doing?
0: I, well, I started doing social change work very, very, very young, like at twelve. I'd oh, already wow. started doing a body of work in the United States. I, I don't know if you all have um 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 what we call community organizing in in the UK? Sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I started doing grassroots organizing in the United States um, in St. Louis at 12 and knew that my work would kind of stay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have this language then. I just, I, it was more like I was interested in staying in the realm of change, politics and the like, I think, you know, I'm sure I had, you know, you're twelve so between twelve and becoming an adult, you probably change your minds a thousand times I'm sure there was a time I wanted to be other things but um I always had this kind of social justice social change bent as a as a young person so um that just became more evolved and more mature as I got more and more opportunities and by the time i um by the time I was like 22, 23, I got my first opportunity to really engage in this world of methodology and techniques and training and consulting um, as a student organizer with an organization called Campus Outreach Opportunity League. And that was where I really started to get immersed in technique development workshops um, and learning that there's a whole world where you sort of crunch concepts and knowledge into um, packages that make them more um, accessible to uh, um, populations. And developing that was something that once I learned about it, I was very, very drawn to and really hung around people um, from my 20s upwards that made it their life's work to do that kind of thing, to develop techniques, to develop methods, either in sort of qualitative research or in training and pedagogy, I really found a home with those kind of people. It's really, it's really funny because it's such a arcane world and unless you're in it, you don't know that it's, it exists and there, there aren't very many codified ways to step into that practice. So yeah, I completely appreciate that.
1: I think with a lot of um, disciplines around design and design thinking, um, like service design and UX, these are terms that didn't really exist once upon a time. And it wasn't really a methodology for how we processed relationships or how we processed dynamics or how we processed culture or dealing with culture. So the idea that you know you're ba- basically setting a, a pathway that is now so well established that others can follow you which is just that's pretty incredible
0: yeah um thank you um i remember when we first um started working on a studio we were very influenced by Brooke, bruce Mao's book massive change um and I was like, this is it, like, this is where I have to be. Like, I need to be um, sort of making this kind of work relevant for the communities I care about. Um, and, you know, hopefully we've been able to make some small contribution to this discourse.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, uh, I think you already have. Um, and for me, what makes it so impactful is this idea of moving design or creative thinking beyond output driven. So rather than looking at the thing that's made, looking at the systems by which it is made, looking at the methodology by which it's made, looking at the conditions by which it's made. And I think that's so empowering for designers because we have, especially the way it's taught in the UK, we have such a myopic view of design as being this service. So it's something that's done for clients or agencies or an employer and the goal is whatever you're making if you make a website the gold is the website if you make a flyer the gold is the flyer but we're never really looking at the conditions by which it's made and you know examining the users how they interface with it what the transformation actually is so just kind of having this holistic view of design and problem solving is so empowering with that being said can you give us an overview of ideas arrangements effects
0: i'll try um so the premise is is that most of the time when we're trying to solve problems, we see the problem in a kind of a, of a enclosed vacuum and individuate the problem. We will make the problem a person or we'll make the problem the specific thing we see. Like, for example, um, childhood obesity. Uh, um, I don't know if that was a situation that you all struggled with in the UK, but it was a big problem here. I mean, it's a big, big problem here still. This, it was discussed as a big problem in the United States. And instead of talking about the arrangements that produce childhood obesity, they would talk about the children themselves and about making the children lose weight or weighing children or blaming the parents. Right. And the book we're saying is that where you see a social problem, look for the arrangements around that social problem and the arrangements are the hard and soft Um, conditions that shape the space and time where you see the problem um, um, sort of evidencing itself. And once you go up and look at those concrete and sort of abstract things um, surrounding the problem, search for the ideas embedded in those concrete things. And if you can figure that out, you can actually change another layer up from the evidencing of the problem and potentially have a deeper impact. So around childhood obesity, um, we really sort of critiqued the models of blaming children and blaming families. And we were more uh, interested in um, um, either tackling or imagining new social arrangements that we think could actually um, do a deeper dive into the problem. So for us, instead of weighing children, We proposed a project called Public Kitchen, um, where we said if kitchens were made um, part of public infrastructure the way schools are and libraries are, and they were that ubiquitous and people could engage in collective whole conversations, practices, ways of thinking about and and dealing with food, um, and that was sort of part of our everyday lives, how would that then change social life? and mm-hmm. if we could change social life how would that then impact the lives of um families and then impact the lives of children so we try to move further deeper into the um the intricacies of systems and try to make change there to have that change then change um everything and 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 hopefully have the kind of results we want we 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 say if you try to make change too close to where the problem evidences itself. In fact, mm-hmm. you can reify the problem. You can make the problem mm-hmm. worse. Um, okay. So it kind of gets to um, another sort of concrete example of that would be with, uh, another one with children is when you see children in public schools, or I don't know if this is another one that's big in the United States, where children will get diagnosed with ADHD Um, 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 because they can't sit still inside of um, um, school rooms, Mm -hmm. the child will get the solution, which is a medical solution, versus looking at the room and saying, what is it about this room that is making it impossible for the child to sit still? The problem becomes the child. The problem doesn't become the situation that the child is in. Um, Mm -hmm. And mostly that's because, you know, You see everybody else um, or the other people adhering to the situation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that because you see them adhering to the situation, that the situation is actually good for them. And so instead of seeing the person evidencing a problem as a problem, what if we saw the person evidencing a situation as an opportunity for us to learn about the situation and to actually think? and evaluate and, and figure out how to make the situations better. And for yeah. us, the situation would be the chairs, the teacher, yeah. the chalkboard, the time that you're asking people to sit still, the fact that you're asking people to sit at all. All of those things, the, the cultural norms that are implicit in that situation. So the being quiet, not talking to your neighbors, all of that we call arrangements, social arrangements. Um, we call them hard and soft. And we say, if we wanna make um, a world more just and more interesting really, and more culturally um, complex, we have to understand how to identify these arrangements and how to identify what the arrangements are doing to produce the effects we don't want and what are the ideas embedded in those arrangements. And so that's where the framework really comes from. And we got to that sort of haphazardly through designing and looking at our design techniques and working. And then at some point, around eight, nine years into our own practice, we were like, ideas, arrangements, effects. It just sort of came to us.
1: That's amazing. I think it's so important in terms of how we think about problem solving, how we think about design thinking. I know there's a lot of designers and creatives who listen to this podcast and i think we all suffer from at times trying to solve effects with effects that's the problem yeah you know rather than looking at what underpins it we're trying to deal with the manifestation of it with other manifestations exactly how do uh, ds4si go about finding your projects so when you're looking for projects to undertake or these social interventions, as you call them, what does that process look like?
0: Well, it's, it's sort of two pronged. We, um, are constantly, um, running workshops to meet new clients, um, and have clients understand how we think and hopefully, you know, get clients in the door. And then once we get a client, we like to keep clients for a while. Um, um, a lot of clients come through us through text or books or like writing. And a lot of clients come through us through, um, other consultants or other, um, outfits who are like, Oh, you guys are thinking about assistance transformation. You should go look at these guys. And then we also get, um, um, bodies of, of work through the philanthropic sector. You know, we, we have a, a sort of private philanthropy sector in the United States. And so sometimes. Um, foundations or other, um, 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 non-government organizations or non-profit organizations will want to collaborate with us for a, a period of time. And in that work, um, um, that, that work will get funded through, uh, um, foundations and that'll become part of our budget. So there's a, a, a body of, Going out and getting clients, and then there's a body of collaborating and, and getting grants. And that's really, it's the combination of those two that um, make the studio uh, exist. And right. where we're trying to go now is to expand um, both our philanthropy and client base and build out a more sort of public facing production phase of the studio as well to put our ideas more out into the public sphere. So how do you go about measuring the
1: efficacy of the work you do? So if we're talking about a social intervention, we're talking about you being in the community. What are your processes for measuring how effective or how much engagement these projects generate?
0: Where um, I think that's the next big thing we want to take on is bringing on um, a person. I think we're now at a place where we can actually get someone in to go back and do a deep dive and um, sort of do research and really start to evaluate what's been the effect of of the studio. I think we spent so much time like the past 10 years, um, well, yeah, like up to writing the book. I think we spent Mm -hmm. most of our time trying to actually say what it is we're trying to say. Um, And now we're just at a point where we can actually look back and start to, um, evaluate. Um, and um, hopefully, um, with this new hire and, and, um, and now that we have a book out that's actually sort of, um, has a, a premise that we can go back and actually test. Um, it's, it's, we're out a place to, to, to really do a deep evaluation. Um, when you're in the communities and you're doing
1: these projects and you're delivering them and you're seeing a transformation, do you see that happening with the participants and the people, the, the interactions are aimed at?
0: Yes. And the goal was to really see it happening with the people who are trying to create change. So, you know, our, our initial premise was how do we increase the capacity of change makers? So that change makers, if they want to change something like um, horizontal violence with young people, they don't just look to legislators or jobs to do it. They recognize that there are ways that they can do that culturally and trying to get that to stick. Um, and so I feel like that's why we have to sort of expand our outward facing work um, even more is the difficulty that it takes to get. The ways that we're thinking to stick within the institutions um, that we collaborate with and really changing the way those organizations think and the way those organizations approach problems. Um and um increasing the capacity of people who are dealing with problems to to think about problems differently as well. Um and That's happened um, to some extent. Again, we need to evaluate that even um, more, but I feel like I would love to figure out how to have our understandings of how change works stick more inside the systems we collaborate with.
1: I think for me, our knee jerk reaction to solving very complex societal issues. So something that was, in the press a lot, or has been in the press a lot here in the UK, is uh, quote unquote, black on black violence, or knife crime, as it's commonly referred to. And the solutions around this problem tend to be uh, solutions that are based on criminality. And they solutions that are based on who has a knife, and what happens to the person if they're caught with a knife. And that's how, or less knives, let's have less knives in the community, and that will solve the problem. Rather than looking at the structure that underpins why black men see each other or young black men see each other as a threat and feel the need to protect themselves or feel the need to carry weapons in the first place. And what about our system is, uh, creating that dynamic. Right. So I think, right.
0: Yeah. And, um, and so much of what, you know, we're trying to do is to say, it doesn't like that. What you were saying is like, you're drawing, uh, a uh, 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 arbitrary circle around a very narrow, con- very narrow aspect of a larger relational problem, and you're thinking that if you can stop knife or stop man, you stop problem. But problem exists beyond um, knife and man. Problem exists across, um, you know, uh, a network of people with who have an agreement about a way of interacting and that way of interacting needs to be, um, reconsidered. Um, and yeah. if we're thinking about, um, rethinking, um, uh, interaction, we have to look at the idea of undergirding or the belief in that situation, undergirding the interaction and figure out mm. how to problem, not problematize it, but at least disturb it, like start to, to interfere with it in different ways. So, um, or even just yeah, have people I question think. it. Exactly. You exactly. Know, just to, have just to raise question. It. A question. Exactly. Because yeah, it,
1: it's something that I had uh, through throughout my teenage years and as a young man, the arrangement was: if you're walking down the street and someone stared at you hard, that meant they wanted to fight,
0: and you were Even just. In like, the UK?
1: Oh, so much in the UK. So wow, well, I didn't.
0: I wouldn't have guessed that. That um, same. Um, I keep learning that a lot of the things that we figured out have so much resonance across so many different geographies. I almost feel like now the next 10 years would be like, what if we could take all the people who found resonance with the things we've learned and do a completely different deep dive. That's harder. Like, you mm-hmm. know, um, so, and it's, 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 so yeah, it, I get yeah. excited about the prospects of that.
1: That's what I mean.
0: There's so much in
1: a book that has so much resonance, not just in terms of design, not just in terms of professionally, but just in terms of how we view the world. I remember there was a, a real moment in my teenage years where I made a conscious decision
0: to stop seeing the people who lived in my neighborhood as immediate threats. And for us, I think what we're trying to figure out, and it's still a question for us is are there ways we can design techniques that can actually make those kinds of decisions move from an individual to a population? Can we, what would it look like to say if all the black men in the um, in London were suddenly like, eh, yeah, that was 2020, now 2021, that's dead. You know, yeah. like what kind of, what would need to happen in a cultural zeitgeist to make that happen? So those are the questions we, we're really interested in, in figuring out. Um and how do we design for that?
1: As individual designers and creators, uh, what would your advice be for people who want to progress their typical ideas of design and creativity being output driven into a more holistic approach and consider things like systems design?
0: My advice would be to surround yourself with people who are interested in it and run experiments. Like take take things that you are interested in um, exploring and put some time into doing design research and actually getting feedback from your colleagues to mm-hmm. try it on um, mm-hmm. and uh, and to get feedback not only from your colleagues but you know people in other aspects of the design world that are are also trying to um move more into a systems framework around design i think you know you just have to you just have to literally get it in your methodology by doing it and getting feedback on it and doing it again um and i think that's the way in is to do it and get feedback on it with people who can who you trust won't won't um be worried about your feelings I mean, you know, to some extent, you don't want people to be mean to you, but you also want people to help you go in the direction you want to go in. Um, Where can people find you, Kenneth? Where can they find your book? Um, Me, Twitter, um, at DS4SI. Uh, You can find the book on our website. Um, You can Google Design Studio for Social Intervention, or you could Google DS4SI.org um and there you will be able to find access to the book ideas arrangements effects um yeah and we also are on facebook at ds4si so um we're we're easy to find awesome all right i highly recommend that anybody watching this go and check
1: out that book it's life-changing stuff Um, my thanks to kenneth for joining me today um just again just your time and your expertise has been so inspirational Thank you so much and you know i hope we get to work together again soon in the future
0: we should we should see if we can get design council to do a from object to systems design um set of conversations um with us and designers of color um yeah
1: that would be and amazing I,
0: you know and again greg i um you're the man i like you so much i can't wait to Continue to um, have this conversation with you. So thanks so much for thinking of me. Excellent.
1: Thanks so much, ma'am.
0: You got it. You've been listening to Design for the People with Greg Bunbury.